This is not Braden Storms. This is not Braden Storms. This is not Alright, welcome back to Not Braden Storms. We got Henry Beck, and we're doing Barbenheimer review today. So, if you haven't seen Barbie or Oppenheimer, just be warned now. Extreme spoilers ahead. We're probably just going to talk about everything. So, if you haven't seen it, go see it and come back later. Boom. Done. Okay, Henry, what did you think? Oh, first, yeah, tell me which I, which did you see first? Oppenheimer. Okay. Yeah. Oppenheimer. Yeah. Yeah. See, I I I was really debating um, which one to do first because I was trying to gauge which like what feeling like what mood do I want to end my night on? Because I was like, yeah, I'm yeah. sure Oppenheimer is going to be kind of like a big bummer, but like also what if the big bummer like ruins like my take on Barbie? Right. Just, like, sad. <laughs> um, but I, I elected to see Oppenheimer first because I had high hopes that Barbie would be funny enough to kind of like make me feel happy again. Yeah. Um, and I think, I still think that that was the right choice, but I will say this actually. So I've seen Barbie twice now. I just saw okay. it on Monday with my cousins who wanted to see it. And so I was like, ah, okay, I'll go, I'll go watch it. And, um, I've never had such a dramatic emotional shift on a movie before huh. as I have with Barbie. Interesting. Uh, when I first watched it, I think I was just expecting – I didn't. I don't really know what I was expecting. I had high expectations for it. But when I watched it, I was just like really like um, disappointed. I just thought the movie was really not good. Yeah. I think, I think the reason why I didn't like Barbie the first time was I was so focused on kind of this like – it felt so um, like it was really funny. I thought it was really, really, really funny. Yeah. And then when the Barbies take back Barbie Land from Ken, that yeah. felt such like such a tonal shift. Like it didn't feel like funny anymore. It felt like a weird like on the nose like attack. Right. And to be honest, that was the completely wrong like emotional response. Huh. Uh, and and uh, I'll get into that later. So Barbie, uh, upon my second watch. Love it. I absolutely love it. I do think both times I watched it, I do think though, it has like a very materialistic um, sort of conclusion. Like essentially it's just saying uh, it's okay to just be a messy, like nothing person. And you can just kind of like leave it at that. And like, that's just yeah. what being a human <laughs> is. But I will say that conclusion is at least better than being like one of the Barbies or one of the Kens that isn't Ryan Gosling's Ken because essentially they choose a life. It's like if someone in Plato goes out of the cave and then comes back and decides to choose like the shadows and just like stays stays uh, in the cave. They're like actually I like Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like I don't really like the fresh air. Yeah. I feel like being in the cave is much much more safe. Yeah. But Barbie doesn't choose that. She chooses like a chance at basically making something of herself right whatever that's going to be and like that's the thing is like it's it's a little bit too subjective of a conclusion for my taste like it's just kind of like you can choose whatever you want to be instead of like no you should choose to be like as virtuous as possible there's right. not really that call to action but i guess for barbie like that and like just choosing to be something other than a toy is already such a huge like push in a good direction that it's like okay i'm not gonna apply my own like opinions too heavily onto this movie right. about literal balls that aren't smart. Right. Um, so anyways, I'll, I'll get into Barbie more in the future. Um, Oppenheimer, 
when I initially watched it, thought it was fine. I thought it was very Christopher Nolan. I was like, all right, we got some nonlinear storytelling. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. got some muffled dialogue. <laughs> we got a really awesome bomb test scene, which I think the sound design in everything but the actual dialogue was really cool because the um the silence of the bomb scene mm. is so like it's such a dramatic shift from like the kind of like the really grating score that he's like constantly throwing at you right uh which i think i'm i, I actually want to hear your thoughts on on that because i w- i'm really torn still on like is the constant audio and music like kind of almost blending together and constantly being thrown at you is that like a really conscious choice of his uh-huh. to make the bomb scene that much bigger because all of a sudden it's completely silent? Or is that like a cheap editing trick to like hype it up, even though it's really not that impressively right. done? Because I'm, I kind of go back and forth. I'm like, did I get like duped <laughs> by the editors? Or was this like a conscious thing from the very beginning that Nolan was like asking? Yeah, that's this? interesting. So there, I have that in mind. And also, Oh, no, I I just, I think that's interesting. I, because I've been listening to the soundtrack uh, every, like, every once in a while. I really like um, one of the early, Can You Hear the Music is the title of the one, but it's kind of like the, um, it's early on in the movie. And, but a lot of, to me, a lot of the sound, the, the soundtrack is, expressing the chaos that's going on in Oppenheimer's mind or mm. or like mm. the not just the chaos but also like the the beauty of the thoughts too so there's like this kind right. of so many things flying around and I would I would imagine that the silence in the bomb scene is the that's the one moment where there's no the thoughts are gone right it's like that's yeah. the culmination of all this chaos right. being on inside of Oppenheimer's yeah. brain. But yes. I don't think that rules out right. it being a cheap editing trick. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, no, I, I think I, that, I think that's the tough thing about the movie for me is like it's really good. And like when I walked out, I was like, I knew I'd seen something special, but I couldn't say that I necessarily like really enjoyed it. You know, there's that weird thing where it's like, um. There's so much Christopher Nolan in the movie. Like, there's the, all the nonlinear storytelling and the different, like, you know. I, I, and the more I think about it, the more I really like, actually, how the petty politics so quickly supplants, like, the really interesting scientific yeah. theory. Uh, because that's kind of how politics work. It's just they don't care about morality and they don't care about theory or, or physics or whatever, what have you. Like, right? Like, it just becomes about Robert Downey Jr.'s yeah. career. And and Oppenheimer's career, like it, it became so much about Oppenheimer, the communist, right. to the U.S. government instead of Oppenheimer, the scientist. And he was so adamant, like I'm a scientist first. I'm a scientist first. Um, but he and so like Oppenheimer's forced into this almost like he becomes like a statesman in a way, which I think is really really interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I do I do still think like I think the best thing that Nolan does in the movie is you can tell he's trying to make Oppenheimer appear like a martyr, mm. but he never comes to a complete conclusion because he, sh- he shows so much of Oppenheimer's right. messiness that, like, depending on who you are as a person, you can actually interpret, like, who Oppenheimer is for yourself, which I think is so, like, that's, like, the real brilliance of the script is, like, 
when I walked out, I was like, okay, Oppenheimer's clearly really smart, but he's not a very right. good guy. Like, and also, like, I'm not really an Oppenheimer fan, right. to be honest. Like, he cheats on every single person he's ever been with. He's not faithful at all. Uh, and so it's like, if he can't even be faithful to, like, his wife or his spouse, right? Which is like, I think that's very telling of someone's character. It's like, how can we expect him to be faithful to a top secret, like, Right. project right and like i don't i'm not saying i'm not going to claim that oppenheimer was like feeding yeah, yeah. stuff to the communists but you could tell he didn't care about data leaks like he really wasn't concerned about that and nolan tries i think nolan is saying oh oppenheimer was like used by the government which is true but there is that element where he didn't fully come to that conclusion so it is nice like i think yeah. that's what, what i really enjoy about it was like it's I, it's nice that no one's letting people like make their minds up which is which is very rare for a a, a biopic. Yeah. Most of, often, like a biopic, um, like I don't have you seen I Tanya? No. Okay, that's about right. Tanya Harding. Her husband like bashed in that that skater's yeah. knee or whatever. Um, and that movie's making a very clear statement. Like Tanya Harding was unfairly like kicked out of figure skating, yeah. and like she was abused, and there was all the stuff that happened to her that led to like Jeff Galuli doing that to almost like take control yeah. of her life again, which I, I looked into it myself. That seems very much like that's a good chance that that's what happened, yeah. what was happening. But so many biopics just make claims like that. And they're like, all right, we're going to like basically emotionally manipulate you into believing like this yeah. about the person. But Oppenheimer really doesn't do that, which I think is so like, that was so good to me. It was like, no one's hands were clean. Right. And even Oppenheimer knows that his hands aren't clean. So I know the book's based on American Prometheus. So I was going to ask, because I think Ken has a lot of Promethean qualities as well. So I'm curious to think, like, what do you see any similarities, like, between Oppenheimer and Prometheus? And the, the claim of the movie, in my opinion, this is the one claim I think was pretty strong, was, like, Oppenheimer, like Prometheus, had to suffer for the knowledge that mm. he like bestowed upon the world. But there's a very interesting claim where Truman tells Oppenheimer he shouldn't worry about his bomb. Like he's like, why do you feel guilty about this? Right. I dropped the bomb, not you. So I'm really interested on like, is Oppenheimer's guilt justified? Yeah. Like, what do you think about that? Cause I'm still not sure. Like I'm just like, cause Oppenheimer, as you know, is so egotistical. Like he is pretty egotistical. So, well, at least in my interpretation. So I guess the two questions I have are like, do you find Oppenheimer to be an egotistical guy or did he put like science yeah. first? Or, and then because of that conclusion, do you think like, do you think he has a right to feel as guilty as he does? I'm really, I'm, cause I'm trying to figure that out for myself. So those are two like big questions yeah. I have about Oppenheimer. So first of all, I want to, I want to address the point about Oppenheimer's character because to me, wa- watching the movie, it felt so. For context, Ali and I are watching uh, The Walking Dead. We're rewatching The Walking Dead right now, which, first of all, is a great show. Like, I didn't realize it is very good. And maybe I don't know if TV now is just bad, but The Walking Dead feels amazing relative to what's going on now. But part of that is the conflict in Rick's character, where it's like you there's that tension between wanting to be um, a like genuinely good person. And then there's also the Rick who's like, this isn't a democracy anymore. Like 
tyrant Rick. Right. right. And same thing yeah, when we've scene. talked about uh, Breaking Bad in the past, right? Where you're like rooting for Walter mm -hmm. White, but he's also becoming this like evil person. Um, to me, yep. when I was watching Oppenheimer, I felt like Nolan was doing a similar thing with Oppenheimer's, I'm, Oppenheimer's character where mm -hmm. he's unlikable and yet you still find yourself rooting for him. Um, mm. And so mm. I think, I think there's an interesting, like the interesting question to me is why are we rooting for Oppenheimer? Um, and that probably ties into the question of guilt. Like if, if he is a martyr, there, there's two possibilities, right? One is he was just so focused on the science that he wasn't, didn't, he was blinded by it, right? In his pursuit. And, and that yeah. resonates with us. We're like, we resonate with that, like wholehearted pursuit of something and so we get wrapped up into that and root for him even mm -hmm. though he's morally compromised in several ways yeah um yeah or i the other option is like there it wasn't as benevolent but then i don't know why we would necessarily root for him if he like was knowingly bringing mm -hmm. something dangerous um into right. the world um yeah which i think ties to his conversation with einstein right about the the chain reaction um yep yeah like how how much are we to hold the and this connects to prometheus right how much do we hold the person who brought the thing initially responsible for what people do with it afterwards mm -hmm. um yeah Mm -hmm. I think that's a really hard question as well. I don't know if those, I don't know if those directly correlated with your questions, but. Um... No, no, I like that. I like that a lot. I also think like, I like that point you made about like the person who is the creator or the bringer of knowledge. Are they like responsible for what right. they've wrought essentially? And the movie claims Two actually makes two separate claims from two different like perspectives because I yeah. know Matt Damon is talking to Oppenheimer as the bomb's being taken away after the Trinity test, and basically Matt Damon's trying to say I think it's Matt Damon's character he's basically saying like you knew from the beginning what this was like you're working for the government like why would you ever think right. that this wouldn't this is like for the government like this is going into the military's hands why did you ever think like anything different. And then Einstein has a claim toward the end of the movie where he says um, they will give you awards to make them feel better for how mm. they've treated you. So then it almost seems like Einstein's saying, yeah, they did manipulate you. You are – you were duped into basically being the destroyer right. of worlds, which really weird scene. I, I By the way, I just listened to your podcast with um, yeah. the, his yeah. the history – guy i'm blanking his name sadly which is really interesting and i really liked like he brought up a point that i also had some just confusion on with oppenheimer's which was just that like why did they do that destroyer of world scene with a woman like yes, in, in yeah, an yeah. intimate <laughs> um relationship 
And I think it's definitely purposeful. Like, it seems really gimmicky. It's like, okay, like, I don't think that's, that's right. probably not how that happened. But it's also like, what a fascinating um, take on that. Sorry, can you uh, hear that fine. yelling in the background? It'll, it'll, yeah, cut it out. Okay. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm really interested by that. Is like, Oppenheimer destroyed, kind of destroyed his own world right. with his infidelity. Uh-huh in a way, and, like, destroyed people's lives with that. But he also, like, technically saved the world because with the onset of nuclear energy, there's not really world conflicts right. anymore. So it's like, I don't know, it's just really interesting. Oppenheimer just a really, was just a really interesting movie because there's so many ways you can take things. It's like, from a film student perspective, I think the movie's kind of like, I wish it had been edited differently. And like, I wish that the bomb testing scene and the two like trial scenes had all been edited as one, like together. So they all coalesced, like as Oppenheimer's bomb works, he also realizes his security clearance is revoked in the future from the bomb. And then also Robert Downey Jr. is like, gets in trouble as well. I think that would be right. a very interesting, like usage of the nonlinear. It didn't turn out that way, which is fine. But like on a more like, I don't want to say metaphysical level. That's <laughs> such a pretentious word to say. But yeah, you know, like on a on a headier level, like the questions raised are very much like you can go so yeah. many different directions. Because like I was very cynical of Oppenheimer when I first came out. I was right. like, he's not a good guy. I didn't root for him. But then the more I think about it, I'm like, I do actually see why he would be so torn up about it. Because it really is like so much of the movie is asking is like who is complicit in destruction. And, like, can even creators be implicit in, like, the destruction of other things, even though they don't necessarily right. choose for that destruction to happen? So, like, as a, you know, as a, I mean, you're not a physicist, but as someone who has done a lot of physics work, like, what what is kind of the consensus around that sort of, like, I mean, I don't know if you work with theory, but, like, what what is kind of the... um what is the what is the word I'm looking for? Like, what is kind of the the consensus of like teachers speaking to students about things yeah. like nuclear energy, its dangers, um, what responsibility is applied to right. physicists, um, and are they considered complicit or implicit in those th- in new discoveries like that that could be used right. for destruction, or is that not really so something you guys like worry my, about? I'll start by saying I'm not qualified to give any authoritative stance on this whatsoever and and so my, my this is just me opining but um so i actually think a really good example for this is of recent stuff is the ocean gate submarine so that mm. guy and that's it's more like engineering kind of but if i think ethics are rarely involved in either scientific research or engineering research and development. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that Mm. engineers, that's not one of the factors in that equation because a lot of times it's just about solving this problem. And so my Mm. guess is if you were to look throughout history at innovations, um, the innovation comes first and the regulation always comes after. I think it's pretty mm. rare for regulation to be occurring at the same time as 
some kind of R and D. Um, so that's why, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking mm. of like lead paint, right. I'm like, like all these different things where yeah, right. the solution yeah. comes first and then the problems identified. Um, so mm. when it comes to Oppenheimer, I think when you're, you're viewing him as a scientist, right. And he's fully interested in the scientific question, not yeah. so interested in the application. Right. And that, that to me mm -hmm. is a faithful representation of how a lot of scientists minds would work. Um, mm. I also think that the, the whole part about like, basically like the arms race part is also really interesting. Um, yeah. because I'm, yeah, I'm thinking is. of the, the story of Prometheus and I don't know it super well. Um, but, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm kind of trying to think about like, how does Oppenheimer take that question of Prometheus and put a twist on it? Right. And I think part mm. of the twist yeah. is, do you, how do you attribute guilt to Prometheus? If there are other Prometheuses who also are could potentially do the same thing um because yeah. that's a fundamentally yeah. different question um right. okay so now going back to the ocean gate thing right um i talked about yeah. this with yeah. somebody else um arthur rosen on a previous podcast but um i think there will be other people who now are going to be trying to get into the submarine uh exploration tourism business and yep. the fact yes. somebody was going to have to do it and fail for the regulation to mm. get to be put in place because the regulation isn't going to happen right. until it's been tried essentially yeah yeah so then do you think okay that's really interesting because i feel like oppenheimer is in a way trying to regulate atomic energy as he's trying to invent it because he's really worried like he wants it to work but like um one of the scientists there's so many scientists yeah. i can't remember the names of anybody but he's played by benny Safdie. he's kind of like the one who betrays oppenheimer i guess he's the guy who comes right. up with the idea for the h-bomb while they're right. inventing the a-bomb which i thought was really interesting because as i think as far as I know, I don't, I'm not a physicist, but I mean, obviously, H bombs right. are far more powerful yes. than an A bomb, right? So, if they'd gone down the H bomb route, they could have created something far deadlier uh, much sooner, which I, is an interesting take because Oppenheimer shuts him down. And originally, I was thinking he just shuts him down because Oppenheimer wanted his thing to kind of go forward. Because he was had already like he'd already started the a bomb work, but that's really interesting. Because now I'm almost thinking back to some scenes where it seems like Oppenheimer's really worried about like what's going to happen to his invention as he's inventing it, but he's also like keeps put shutting out those questions, like um, you know, like you know, like there's like the one in a million chance that we set off a chain reaction right. that destroys the whole world, stuff like that. But then he continues on anyway. So that's that's really interesting because he does. It seems like he's almost trying to morally regulate his own theories, but then he just goes on anyway because he's not really – he doesn't – I guess he doesn't really even care. Like he – it's almost like he says that to yeah. make himself feel better. 
that he cares. I don't know. I, I think know, that's, that's really interesting. A, I didn't, a didn't catch that. standing question of can you be an innovator and an uh, uh, ethicist at the same time? And I think I don't know that mm. there's a, a hard answer, but I think that, that that question is definitely at the core of of that movie. Yeah. Um so I, yeah. I do wanna so you mentioned that Ken is also a Prometheus. So given what we've yeah. mentioned about uh Oppenheimer, how do you also see Ken as a Prometheus? Yeah, I see I see Ken as a Prometheus because he supplies one thing that the Kens initially didn't have, and that hmm. is autonomy. Uh, because I don't know if you remember at the beginning of Barbie, but it says, um, you know, uh, a Ken, like for every day, a Barbie, you know, has a great day or whatever, just by existing, uh, or every day is perfect in Barbie land for a Barbie, but in, for a Ken in Barbie land, they only have a great day if like their Barbie right. pays attention to them. Uh, which I think is really interesting because when Ken brings back the patriarchy, that totally goes away. And he basically supplies Ken's with an idea that they can achieve something right. more. Um, obviously, one thing about Barbie that I think many people don't touch on, it's like they are literal dolls. So they're like dumb. So their idea of agency looks uh -huh. really stupid to us as like people. So like, when I initially saw the movie, I was like, <laughs> okay, like they're just, he's they just have basically like reduced women to yeah. like housewives, right? It doesn't seem like the Barbies have much agency, but when you think about it, 10 technically like he basically presented an idea of what society should look like. And it wasn't like the Ken's overthrew them. The Barbies just somehow went along with it. Yeah. Like <laughs> went along with it. They just went along with it. Exactly. So it's like they, they imply that maybe it's brainwashing, but it also doesn't necessarily fully seem that way at times. Like, um, the Barbies are, are happy and they're not being like oppressed like yeah. physically in any way. They're not being like harassed, right? They're, they have like a, they're safe. They both are, everyone's staying in the house or as, as so it's implied because the women right. finally stay over. Um, and so I, I take Ken as, I mean, it's a very like flawed example, I guess, but Ken does have Promethean qualities, I guess is a better way to yeah. put it. He's not like a perfect example of Prometheus, but he does essentially yeah. leave the cave and he goes and he finds information, but because he's like an adolescent boy, he has an imperfect image of what like um, power right. or like personal betterment or like actuality looks like. So his act, the way he actualizes things is in a very like juvenile sense saying like mojo dojo casa house because that's really yeah. fun to say even though that makes absolutely no sense so he doesn't make ken smarter he doesn't make barbie smarter right everyone's just as right. dumb essentially at the end of the movie as they were when they started but ken is learning something about himself which sets him apart from the other kens i mean that's i think that's where i would draw those comparisons i have a lot of other okay. thoughts on the barbie movie so uh, way more let, let's focus for a second on the the cave analogy, right? So, because I I just made yeah. that video about uh, Andrew Tate and the Matrix and and all of that being yeah, 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 the I cave, right? Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that that aspect of the story is fascinating for a few reasons. One, which is Barbie land really the cave in this story or like what are the, can you make that analogy where Barbie land is the cave and the real world is the real world? So that question I'd be interested mm -hmm. in. And then also, um, the significance of Barbie when, you know, when she's presented the two shoes, the Birkenstock and the heel, which right is an homage yeah. to the matrix. Um, and right. so she basically gets the choice, red pill, blue pill. And she's like, Oh, blue pill. And she says blue pill. easy. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah. I, I don't know the actress's name, but, uh, she's like, no, that's, that's not an option. Weird Barbie, right? Weird Barbie's like, no, that's not an option. Yeah, so Barbie, yeah. what does it mean when you're forced to go to the real world? Um, when it's how, mm -hmm. how does taking agency out of the picture, uh, affect this, this equation, right? Um, but the first question is like, okay, how do yeah. Barbie land and the real world map onto the allegory of the cave? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So I think the main issue with the analogy being applied to Barbie is the conclusions that that Barbie makes about humanity. So because the, so I mean, it's been ages right. since I read about the cave. So you probably know <laughs> way more about the analogy than I do. But just as far as I remember, right, there's people watching shadows of real things on the wall, right? And they're duped into thinking that the shadows mm -hmm. are like reality. So they're looking at something that isn't right. as good as the actual thing. And there are some people who ascend out of the cave. They're able to see the grass and the stars and the actual light. And they're able to take that knowledge back to the cave right. and like rescue more people right. as far as I know. Right. And I think also, isn't there a bit where like, once you get out of the cave, you're almost yeah. compelled to go back in because you can't make the thought right. of those people being there. Okay. So first off, it's kind of a tough analogy because Barbie um, actually doesn't really do like what a right. person who's been out of the cave should do. She actually doesn't really, she's like, I don't really know if I want to go right. back to Barbie land at first. She's like, I don't know if I really want to do that. Um, the conclusion is actually not that there is a set objective reality, but that you make your reality yeah. what you want it to be. Because human, humanness is messy. The only constants are that we mess up and we die. Because that's what the ghost right. of the creator right. of Barbie basically tells her. Um, but the really interesting thing is like Ken technically does imperfectly what someone who's left the cave should do. And I think this is the thing. I think the reason why I use the cave as, as, as kind of a skin deep analogy more in that someone left like a fake version right. of reality and then goes back. Because honestly, Barbie land isn't even something that you could like right. rescue people right. from like they're too dumb the barbies are and the kens they're 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 not even capable really of right. conceptualizing like ken's conclusion is essentially i am ken like he basically <laughs> learns that he's just like a right. <laughs> an, a, an entity which is like that how do you how do you get like that's technically a complete arc but how do you even get that out of like right. plato's cave so when, when you're dealing with a doll who has no sense of virtue, nor do they need virtue because they live in mm -hmm. an imagination land, 
right? Where imagination is virtuous and basically like whatever the person who's playing with you decides you to be is right. the best reality for the most part. Um, as long as that connection that they talk about is like in sync. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's kind of a bad, like, I think aside from just using the image of like leaving somewhere and coming back with like more knowledge than you had before and trying to like better your place of origin, it's really not that good of it. Like, I think yeah. it's kind of a tough analogy to really apply because of the materialist conclusion, which is, re yeah, I think that materialism almost doesn't allow for them to go as far right. as we hope they could go, which would be more, so, more virtue, right? So let's more break it down yeah. in terms of Ken and Barbie. To me, Ken's cave journey is a little bit more clear because yep. he goes to the real world. To him, to Ken, the real world is better because he has agency, autonomy, uh, or, or men do, I should say. And then he returns, mm -hmm. gives that to the other Kens. Um, and so at least in that first, like those first two thirds, right? They're see that's like a cave mm -hmm. mark. Margot right. Robbie's Barbie's cave, cave arc is she leaves. Yeah. Her, it's not as it's not as analogous because she her kind of like perception of Barbie land starts to shift before she leaves um when she starts mm -hmm. getting cellulite and all that um right but what's what's interesting about her arc right is that Barbie land exists in a state when she leaves and when she goes to the real world, she realizes the real world is actually like pretty messed up. And then when she comes mm -hmm. back to Barbie land, she basically just restores Barbie land to how it was before. And then leaves to the real world again. Um, yeah. Ex yeah. Well, no, continue. I, Finish your I, thought. I don't I mean, know. Yeah. And then you have yeah, the, the factor that ken after going to the real world and coming back to barbie land and changing barbie land he then gets won over by barbie essentially and and all the things that he brought mm -hmm. back are just thrown away basically immediately um mm -hmm. so the way that i i liked thinking about using the allegory of the cave is like okay how did this uh how is this person changing that story right and what does what do the changes mm -hmm. that are made say about the story um yeah. and i would kind of agree with you that it feels like the the changes made kind of just like disregard the movement between the cave and the real world like that they don't really right they don't matter that much and the real world isn't necessarily yeah. it doesn't seem that much better than than barbie land right yeah that's that's a good point but what's interesting too though is um ken what i love about ken's arc is he only takes which i guess is further destroying our attempt <laughs> at making it the cave but you know, i'm gonna posit this 
Ken realizes, actually, that the world... Men have more power there than they do in Barbie Land, right? But he misinterprets how people achieve greatness because he basically responds like, right. like a little kid, right? He's like, he says, I would like to be a male doctor, please. And they're like, you need a PhD for that. And then he goes, I'd like to be a lifeguard, please. And they're like, well, you have right. to be certified for that. So then he angrily takes all of his knowledge back to Barbie land, like yeah. a kid throwing a temper tantrum where he doesn't have to have any qualifications. So part of the reason why Kendom is bad is because it isn't based on like the Kens yeah. proving their worth, proving they are worthy to lead yeah. Barbie land. Right. Right. It's and then earning it. Ken just basically says, we deserve it because yeah, we are okay, Ken. That's good. And so yeah. then it just kind of happened. Right. The interest, well, interesting enough though, that yes. is exactly what the Barbies yes. have done at yeah. the beginning of the movie, right? Which I think is the brilliance of the script. And I did not catch this the first time. And, the, and upon rewatching it, it is such a good critique on radicalism yeah. of any kind, whether that is like a third wave progressive feminism or like a weird, like Andrew right. Tate alt right, like Matrix, like, like mega patriarchy. Essentially. Yeah mega patriarchy like right. women belong in the kitchen and like they're here for men like that type of take is also terrible because it perfectly keys in on you want to say because of the way we look yeah we deserve x because i'm a woman i am now this it actually has nothing to do with i am a trained doctor because if you think at the beginning of the movie that everyone all those women are uh, all the barbies are accepting awards and then go, I don't yeah. even know why I got the Nobel prize for journalism. I yeah. just am really good. Thank you. And like, that is such a brilliant critique on if you go too far into any form of radicalism, you actually lose the one thing about humanity that separates us from every other animal. And that is the sense of the individual. It is a rational sense that like I am hmm. myself and I can become something right. that has an identity. And Ken basically has to get to just that point. So he's technically like the most human of all of the people uh -huh. in Barbie land because he, he did, I mean, essentially you, th I would think he stays in Barbie land and then Margot Robbie's Barbie leaves. So I guess she's a real person. So we can't really count her in what I just said, but like Ken, like he, he wears that funny sweatshirt at the end yeah. that says, I am enough, right? Where basically he's decided that because he is Ken, he can have an identity. Right. Who knows what that identity is? But he's Ken. And he can do stuff. He's not just Beach. Okay. Right? Right. He doesn't just do Beach. He can do Yeah, he can do something. We're, we 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 don't know what he's going to do, but essentially you learn like you can do something. And that's where it a it a little it's a little bit annoying because I don't like um messages like that normally like, i i really struggle with just being like you can just kind of be whatever you want it's like yeah. you actually can't whether there's like physical limitations or like mental limitations or just right status limitations right those are all things that that will come into play the thing is you have it's more like potential yeah. versus reality and i think that's i like where like you do want to say you have the potential to do this yeah. but it's not a guarantee and so I think that's what I really like about Barbie is 
they say they set it up where the Barbies think that they've like cured basically like misogyny and inequality because they just say like there's the there's the president Barbie and there's the stereotypical Barbie and there is the this kind of Barbie like the doctor Barbie but it's more like that actually doesn't make you hmm. human right like being a doctor doesn't mean you're like a woman right you are a woman right. who is also a doctor and so I think that was really interesting. And then I also, I really found the human characters annoying. I really yeah. I found the mom and the daughter to just be kind of duds. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't have a huge issue. And I didn't have a huge issue with the speech that I think like Ben Shapiro apparently really hated that like speech she gave at the end. And it's like, no, those are all things that women yeah. face in our society. Those pressures very much exist. And it's more the fault of, of a society that seeks to achieve equality. There's always growing pains. And the way America does things is just kind of throw everyone into the fire and then just kind of like yeah. let them figure it out. So to take the only childbearing sex and say, you can be have a great career, but also you're the only ones who can have kids. So you still have to right. like be a mom. Like that's kind of a ridiculous like standard, right? Like the fact like so many companies have very minimal like um, right. maternity leave. Or like you don't earn, you're, you don't really have a way to earn money right. if you go on maternity leave. So it's very much like kids have now become obstacles yeah. to career growth. And so that was one question I've I've really been thinking about is like are like are children basically just becoming yeah. obstacles to women's careers? Obviously they, sh they shouldn't be, but like is that kind of the so, message that's being said? And then also I was. Yeah, I'm just really interested also as like, I mean, what Barbie says about womanhood is something I'd like to talk about in the future, but you can no, speak. No, you're I good. just talked for a uh, long I time, wanna, so I'd I like to I do want to get to that. Uh, I'm so, yeah. obviously the f initial scene of the movie, right, is all the baby, or all the girls smashing their baby doll, like, heads on the floor, right? Because... Because of Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but then the ending yeah. of the movie is Barbie going to the gynecologist, um, which I, mm -hmm. I didn't connect the, um, I didn't connect this to the beginning until I watched that video that I sent you. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah which is very but, interesting. but the idea that yeah. going to the gynecologist is actually like an activity related with childbirth even it's kind of indirect but like barbie is now mm -hmm. opening like she's like considering like okay that's a possibility we'll we'll go that far it's like childbirth mm -hmm. or childbearing is a possibility so i yeah. i when i first watched oh so yeah when i first watched barbie and reacted to barbie i couldn't get over that initial scene of like smashing the babies and i was like right. that that felt like a harmful message even if even if i agree with um the speech at the end of the difficulty i don't think that like smashing babies that's not the answer so um right. so it was, now i'm kind of opening my eyes to see like okay there is a, a quasi positive end message about women's relationship to um bearing children but but then it's also not the only thing yeah 
Um, so yeah, yeah, that that is a real tension for sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I think I th I, I was really fascinated by um, the fact that they that they tagged Greta Gerwig to write and direct the movie because she always writes with Noah Baumbach, who I'm no Noah Baumbach fan. Ellis Holcomb okay. loves Noah Baumbach, as far as I know. Um, so if you want to talk more about that, I should speak to him. Um, he has got a much more favorable light. But Noah Baumbach did movies like Marriage Story, um, which I don't know if you've seen. It's basically just two hours of a marriage <laughs> okay. falling apart. Yeah. And it's really depressing. Um, and then he also has a movie called uh, While We're Young. And that's essentially about grown-up couples interacting and almost how, like, perceived perfection in other relationships make people insecure in their own and then mm -hmm. which is prevalent in barbie because ken is constantly insecure yeah. about his relationship with barbie uh and then also they there was a movie called francis ha which is very good i just i just watched that uh like a, well, about a week ago and that's about a, a young woman in new york who star, it stars greta gerwig actually she's like a wannabe dancer she's kind of like just She's not like doesn't have a great work ethic. Like she doesn't really pursue opportunities as they're presented. She's like, if I don't get that kind of golden ticket to a dance company, I'm not going to take it. Um, and you know, she has a couple messy relationships, and that is about the love actually between two best friends. But anyways, I was, I was so interested that they chose those particular people because they actually write um, in a very like at a very complex level about women in particular. Because Greta Gerwig did mm -hmm. a movie called Lady Bird, which is about a woman basically growing up in high, you know, she's graduating high school, she's going off to college. Uh, and it, I, yeah, I just, Greta Gerwig doesn't pull any punches. So she's very like, she's just a great director because she's just very like um, cut and dry. Like women are women and they're just as, but women are also people, like they're just as messy as anybody else. But she's very like keyed in on the fact that um women doing normal woman things actually isn't bad. Like per like gender norms essentially isn't doesn't have to be a bad thing. And I, I really caught that in Barbie because the women who are the doll the girls that play with their baby dolls at the beginning of the movie, right? They're playing as like housewives. They're like taking care of them. And then they're approached with Barbie, which is this like essentially mm -hmm. a sex symbol, right? She's like perfect. She's lovely. And they smash their babies, which sends, I agree with you. It's, it seems to send this harmful message that you can't be mm -hmm. hot or attractive or sexy if you're a mom, okay. right? Like, cause you are, you're locked into just being a mom. Like, how are you supposed to become the best version of you when you have to focus right. on these like damn kids essentially? But as the movie actually goes on, it actually says, no, women can find beauty in bearing a child or like rearing a child. And that's equally as beautiful. It doesn't right. say it's better or worse, but that is equally as beautiful as becoming like a doctor. Because the woman, the America Ferreira's character, she is like working for Mattel, right? And kind of like a gender norm right. role as like a secretary, essentially, or like a receptionist. But to her, her like greatest right. achievement in life is her daughter, which is actually a, a very traditional take on like a woman's role in society, uh, which I just thought was very, very interesting that they're like, they're a protagonist in the movie is someone who is in like a, is kind of locked in a gender norm. And the conclusion isn't 
get me out of this. America Ferrera isn't like, get me out of this gender normed role. It's just this role is equally as lovely as someone else. So I thought the movie, like, because when I first watched the movie, I was like, really confused. I was like, try, I, like just the tones felt very confusing because I was like, is this so, is this a weird like anti-men yeah. rant? I don't think it is, but it feels that way. I hope it's not. And then, but then it was also like, what is it saying about like women? Cause it just felt very like subjective and kind of all over the place. And I do think that's one, the one f- like flaw of the script or like maybe the most glaring flaw is just the tone is really um yeah. all over the place and they don't have a really, like they don't do a great job at like <clears throat> establishing like b- the bar, like Barbie as a Barbie doll. Like they try to kind of present her as a human esque at the beginning because she's having these like thoughts of death. Um, so yeah, but I, I really had to tell myself like all the stuff that Barbie's interpreting in the real world, like all the ogling and all the gross objectification stuff that does happen in real life. But it's also like to Barbie, that's going to be right. even more heightened because it's almost like she's like in that video, that guy was saying like, she's like right. a woman going through puberty. Like for the first time she is aware right. of her womanness. So now people are like treating right. her as, as an object. So but I don't know what do you what do you think about that? Because I think I think the movie takes a really positive yeah. spin on womanhood and is essentially saying like it's okay to be like a normal Barbie or like a normal yeah. housewife. Or not even a housewife, but like just like a, you can just be normal. You don't have to be like a doctor or something to be considered yeah. great. You're you're definitely helping me see yeah. it uh in a more positive light. Um I I'm reminded of Wollstonecraft. Because Wollstonecraft's argument is for for feminism, like really early feminism, right, is men and women are both fundamentally rational creatures, right? Like if if um yep. if that's our definition of human is like a rational creature, um then men and women both fall into that categories. Now there are biological differences mm-hmm. and Wollstonecraft wouldn't right. uh, deny that. Um, and so each yeah. uh, sex has to deal with those biological differences and reconcile them with their rational nature in different ways. Mm-hmm. However, what is virtuous for any given person is to act rationally, regardless of their biology. Yeah. Um so right. I actually see more of that message. Um, now it does, like you said, it kind of gets turned into relativism at the end. But yeah. you you have kind of like opened my eyes to how the conclusion is Ken becoming aware of himself and the ways in which he needs to he actually has to it's funny it's like it's not self improvement but it's like he actually has to earn he has to earn things um because of who he is right. like because he's able to reflect yeah. on himself um so there's that mm-hmm. kind of like aspect of um rationality and self awareness tied in with for men a duty to like earn respect like you you have to earn respect 
Yeah. And then with Margot Robbie's yep. Barbie, there's this, um, like the conclusion is kind of like her blending of her rationality with wrestling with the, the, the difficulty of childbirth or, or not childbirth, but like her dealing with her right. um, kind of biology natural state. So yeah. I never would have, I wouldn't have gotten there on my own I, because I think I was too thrown off by the, the relative subjectivism. Um, but now it, it's making me think like, that seems like an awfully, if, if the way we're interpreting it is even remotely correct, that seems like an awfully conservative form of feminism. <laughs> Which when I first when I first yeah, yeah, watched yeah. the movie, I was like, it felt very anti-man, um, mm -hmm. and did. so. Which my mom said something great. She was like, "Anytime that uh, you feel defensive, you need to think more about it." So I was like, "Okay, that's that's a really good point." So yeah. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're having this yeah, conversation. Definitely. But uh, um, yeah. I mean yeah i i'm like totally off guard caught off guard right now by um the conclusion that we've kind of come to um yeah yeah but yeah i really like what you said though because um about well just the conservative it's more it's a more conservative take because it it is but it's not even a, a conservative or a, or a liberal take on feminism. It, it actually ties more into like reason yeah. and biology, which is more like a, a more and, and humanistic I mean... take. Like it's basically doing away with any sort of outside pressure or manipulation by presenting things like they're from some sort of like particular stance which is what's so good about the script is it's like everything feels because I, I when i first watched the movie especially i was like okay what is it trying to say about our political climate and then it's like no it's actually a story about an individual ken right. and an individual barbie because like if simu lose ken went to barbie or the real world we have no idea what his right. reaction would have been because he seems very secure in himself so i think another big message is like Ken, Ryan Gosling's Ken, is very, yeah. very insecure. And I think insecurity in men, in men in particular, is very, very damaging to like right. to just how men function. Like I think women are constantly made to feel more insecure. Like that's more like, like with like little comments and just like little things constantly thrown at them. So I think insecurity is like more constant. They present like trying to like it just feels more constant in a woman's life. Right. I'm not a woman, so I can't necessarily say that. But just from like messaging right. I see in our society, just it just would be like if I was a woman, I would feel insecure a lot of the time just because of like beauty standards and a lot of other things. But it's more like when you meet a really insecure man, they are yeah. like intolerable. Like like when a man doesn't know who he is, it's just like dude, like I can't right. even talk to you. Like you need to leave, right? And I think they they really basically show like for men, things like duty or like self-actualization, I think – I mean this might be a kind of a crazy take. But it seems like they're making the claim that like 
without that, men have yeah. a really hard time figuring yeah. out who they are yeah. or what they're supposed to be. Because Ken essentially becomes the ruler of Kendom to impress yep. Barbie. Right? He's like, Barbie doesn't like me. So I'm going to go and I'm just going to take everything from Barbie and she'll have no right. choice but to like yeah, me. Yeah, that's really good. Right? Because for him, his identity is Barbie. And Barbie helps him see your identity isn't Barbie. I don't know what your identity is, but you're Ken. And so like, I love that line at the end where she goes, maybe it's not Barbie and Ken. Maybe it's, it's Barbie right. and yeah. it's Ken. Yeah. Like, there's two it's. So that's such an interesting idea of manhood uh, where ma man, like the royal man, is not defined by his job, like Beach, or his wife, Barbie, right? It is defined by something else. And, it's, and the conclusion is relative because right. it's like, oh, who knows? But it's like those are things that are like – and that applies to women as well. Like your identity shouldn't be in – who you what you have right. or what you've accomplished because that isn't right. an identity that's a facet of something that you've achieved right. through competence so like being competent and being trained in something helps you figure out what your yeah. identity is that's good and, yeah. and i will clarify i just want to make it clear i didn't mean conservative politically more so conservative ideologically right oh, okay. like going back to that wollstonecraft like conserving that idea mm, of mm. feminism. I see. I, yes. I, I actually okay, 100% agree like, with what yeah. you said. So I'm glad that I, I'm, yeah. but I just wanted to make it clear for people listening. Yeah. Okay. That's, um, that's, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, well, go ahead, go I ahead. think that's juxtaposed with like the, it could have gone in a completely like try to make a new claim about what it means to be a, a man or a woman and it, it wasn't really it seemed like it wasn't uh doing that um we had a, a brief break there henry's power cut out so we're back um you had just made a point about male insecurity um and i thought that was really relevant um so when we're looking at kendom uh that is the expression of ken's insecurity right um, right and then once he gets a picture of what men in the real world act like, he takes that back and uses that as a, a method of trying to cope with his insecurity, right? Yep. To me, that I can see how that's a direct commentary on figures like Andrew Tate, right, and um, other 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 people in the uh, like manosphere who are basically, to me, they they remind me a lot of Nietzsche's uh, like strong man where mm -hmm. there is no, it doesn't matter what you do. As long as you do it with enough vigor, you become good. Like right. the strongest man is the best man. Right. Um, and so I can see, I can see how that plays into Kendom um, and this like over like, this like hyper masculinity kind of um right. and then the the pinnacle of that right is um the the barbies using the ken's insecurity against each other and mm -hmm. that results in the use of violence 
um, between the Kens. Right. So what I think is really interesting about that is it's making a, um, it's making a comment on how men resolve conflict, which is through violence. Right. But then the way that women resolve conflict with men is through deception in the movie and, and, uh, honing in on those insecurities. Yep. Um, do you think Greta Gerwig is like glorifying that or is there a, is there a warning about doing that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I was really, I've really been thinking about that because in that video you sent me, I thought it had some good analysis, but he made a couple claims that I really disagreed with. Like one being essentially what you were saying, where he was um, making some weird claim about how like men are supposed to like expand their borders and like be yeah, yeah. powerful. And it's like, um, I mean, I kind of see, like, right. I guess, but it's like more like that just no. That just feels bad. That feels like very Nietzsche and just kind of being the Uber yeah. bench. And I don't think that's good. Um, and then, and then he does, and then like you said, like you, you made up a, a great point, a great point about the, the kind of the deception, the manipulation. And I, I think she's subtly critiquing it personally. Now I have a very positive view of the movie, but it's just right. like, I am biased. But I think what she's saying is like, it's bad that the only way that women feel like and or choose to resolve conflict is through making men, or at least when they have conflict with men, is through making men feel insecure about themselves. Right. And, um, you know, so that way they attack another man. That is, that is I think that's a huge problem because it doesn't actually solve any issues. Like, I mean, look at Helen in Troy yeah. or in the Iliad. Like, she basically pits Paris and Menelaus to, against each other because she's not sure who she wants slash she wants Paris. But instead of just standing up to Menelaus and being like, no, I want to be with Paris, she is, like, yelling at Paris to go fight for her, essentially. Right. Um, and another really good – I actually, this is really funny that we're talking about this. I just read The Great Gatsby for the first okay. time. So obviously being homeschooled, I didn't have to read that in high school. Yeah. So I just chose to read other books. Um, but The Great Gatsby, I, you know, regardless of all the, the obviously the symbolism about like American dream, the, the American dreamer and just like people trying to achieve, you know, a dream that they have. And obviously it's told through the microcosm of Gatsby trying to get Daisy back. But Daisy um, won't tell tom buchanan that she doesn't love him anymore and that she loves gatsby and she won't commit to gatsby either and it ends with gatsby and tom essentially coming to violence they don't actually necessarily like lay hands on each other but it's getting very it gets very violent and right and wilson kills gatsby because like of a woman he thinks that gatsby was sleeping with his wife right and so i think there's something very interesting about how, like, I think Greta Gerwig is trying to say women e- either, and I'm, this is, I'm not sure. This is a really <laughs> question. It feels like it could be one of two things. It's either women have been given no choice but to use manipulation to get out of things because they feel forced into it. 
or a great flaw in women is that they choose to deceive instead of just openly telling the truth. Just like there's a big flaw with men in that instead of rationally speaking about something, we abandon our reason and attack one another. Yeah. Right. Um, and then how men, and then I guess that's, okay. So then do you see in the movie, cause I'm trying to think of an instance, maybe you have a better sense of this. Is there an instance in the movie where, where we see men trying to resolve conflict with women? Cause I'm trying to think, cause we see women trying to resolve conflict with men, but I don't, do we see an instance that's yeah. the other way around? That's a good question. Um, I don't, it feels like there's a lot of tension, but not necessarily like a uh, direct conflict. Mm. Uh, between like the Barbies and the Kens. Um, so a lot of it feels like it's just like posturing. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Um, the only thing that stands out to me is that the men, the the Kens aren't willing to use violence as a means against the women, which is right. a good thing and, yeah. and a, a very natural inclination. Yeah. Um, well, Hopefully it's a natural inclination. Yeah, yeah, it should be. (laughs) Um, So, but other than that, I don't know if there's any like direct statement about how men handle conflict with women. Yeah. Which which almost feels purposeful. Like, like I almost am wondering if, if it's saying men don't like men and women shouldn't be at odds is almost what the movie's saying. Like regardless of how they resolve the conflict, the desire is that they aren't at odds with one another. And also when a man and a woman are both secure in themselves, they can very easily get along. Right. And they can also very easily be friendly. They don't even have to be romantically linked. They can just hang out as friends because they're not trying to figure out some weird tension between them or try to find fulfillment in another person because they feel unfulfilled within themselves. And that's obviously, I guess, probably not true for everybody, but it seems, but it seems like the movie's more saying like, why are men and women at odds? It's kind of silly. Right. Like they shouldn't be at odds, but for some reason they are. So how do we resolve that in these kind of gross ways? So it seems like the movie's almost saying like, how it's been, how it's going, like how people are resolving these conflicts isn't going very well. Right. And, and sadly, it doesn't really tell us an alternative. Yeah. But it's like, that's more what it seems like it's doing. Yeah. Um. To me. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, I don't um, know. I, I just, insecurity was really like prevalent in the movie to me, particularly yeah. Ken's insecurity, but Barbie's insecure too. Because yeah. she's like the stereotypical Barbie. And she's bad at being the stereotypical typical Barbie. So then she starts getting, you know, these like haunting thoughts of death or whatever it was. Right. And, you know, cellulite and all this stuff, which is obviously projected from the mother who's also insecure because right. she wants her daughter to love her. So it's like, yeah, it's, I don't, it's very, um, insecurity seems to be a big part of the film. And it's very much like people are insecure because they have an identity in something that isn't real. It doesn't actually give you an identity. Yeah. Which for yeah. the, the mom is 
Barbie. Like part of the, the commentary is the unrealistic expectations that were yes. set by Barbie. Right. And the, the way that that changed how women identified themselves and all that. Yeah. Which is funny. That's to me, that's where you get the, um, the like overemphasis of Barbie's role in society because it's, it's a Barbie movie, like right. by Mattel, you know, obviously yeah. Mattel is going to have influence over the message. So I thought that was funny. Um, I thought that was funny too. Unfortunately, I actually have to go here soon. Okay. Um, so I wanted to wrap up by like key, what, what are the key questions that we kind of identified that each of the films are focused on answering? Mm. Yeah. Okay. You want, you want me to take those? Um, I can, I'm happy to, unless you would like to, I mean, I'd like to hear yours as well. Yeah. So, but. so with Oppenheimer, I'm thinking of um, the question of like, can you be an innovator and an a moral person at the same time? Yep. Can you prioritize yep. ethics and innovation right. at the same yep. time? And yep. the, the other question is how, how do you attribute guilt to a Prometheus when other, there are other factors involved, whether that be yep. politics or other Promethei uh, in the, yeah. in the equation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I also think I would throw in there for Oppenheimer, um, how guilty are we like the, the people mm -hmm. how guilty are, are is like society. I hate just saying society, but yeah. like how guilty is humanity or, or society in our allowance and usage of Prometheus's gift. Because, like, right. I think about, like, nuclear energy, right? Mostly used for bombs, still. Right. But nuclear energy is some of the cleanest, most efficient energy production in the world. Right. And yet it is not used to power our nation. Right. Right? It is used for destruction. Right. So how are we implicit or complicit, whatever, whichever one it would be, <laughs> in Oppenheimer's success in, in his creation? Yeah. By not utilizing it in a way it maybe should be used. Yeah. And I also think, um, I'm, I'm thinking, I've been thinking a lot about this, about like, um, about history. And I, I like that quote that you said, I, I still don't know who it's by, but how history doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes. Right. So I would also say like, what does Oppenheimer teach us about breakthrough or innovation? that will warn us about innovation we are experiencing today. So like, obviously it's a big talk, but I think of AI. Yeah. AI can be a great tool, but as we're seeing with like the writer strike in Hollywood, right. It can ruin people's careers and lives. Right. So I think a lot about that is like, do we become Prometheus in the way that we use Prometheus's gift? Like, do we become a creator in our own right or like a giver of knowledge in our own way and yeah. how we present that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's, that's another thing I think about from Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah that's um, good. Yeah. And then well. for Barbie, I'm thinking, so we talked about insecurity. Um, I'm thinking how does insecurity um, uh, disable rational function in mm. humans? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Do you have any to add on to that? Yes. Um, I was thinking uh, about um, are people who know who they are or who, people who have a strong identity, are they resistant to manipulation? Hmm. More resistant to manipulation. So I have thought about, I think about that. I was also thinking a lot about um, car like careers and family seem to be like, yep. a, like a subplot of the movie. And I think a lot about the ghost of the creator of Barbie who tells Barbie at the end that she created Barbie for her daughter, Barbara. Hmm. So it's someone who's used their career in service of somebody else. Right. So does our, I guess I would, maybe make it a larger question and say like how does our i or if our our identity is not or and career is not in service of something outside of ourselves can it be fulfilling because it seems like people who are just trying to do things for themselves end up feeling very unfulfilled yeah that's good um but she but the creator of barbie seems very she's She's like, ah, I'm, I'm not tall and blonde and really attractive. I'm short and don't look normal, but I'm fine in who I am. Right. And it's be, part of it is because she created the Barbie, which in the first one was the stereotypical Barbie, for her daughter to essentially – that's where the relativism came in, but basically to make whatever she desired out of herself. Right. I've been thinking a lot about that, and then I think also the last one I, I would throw in is like – um. How how does a a masculine style of conflict resolution um like basically it's a pros and cons list like what are what are benefits of that in that style of conflict resolution between the other gender right and also like what can men so I guess would say what can women learn from man's style of conflict resolution and what can men learn from women's style of conflict resolution yeah, that's good um. And how do they, can they connect? Like, do they work together? Um, yeah, I think that that would be something like that. And then one last thing I'd like to bring up, just one last thing I'd like to bring up, um, is like, why, why do we, or how do we allow women to feel bad about being a mom? Because I think that's another big thing is like we've kind of made motherhood not like a great, beautiful thing as much as it once was. Yeah. And instead, it's like it's a choice. Like why or how do we let women basically have to decide between kids and career? Like right. kids shouldn't be career setbacks. Right. So I think that's those are – I mean I don't know if that question makes a lot of sense in the yeah, wording. That's but that's kind of what I'm thinking about yeah. um, is that as well. So That's good. Unfortunately, yeah. we're going to have to end it with questions. Um, yeah. But thanks for thanks for chatting. You definitely helped me see uh, Barbie in a more nuanced and positive light. Um, so Good. thank you for that. Um, of course. And I hope, I hope everyone listening got something good, good takeaway. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll have to do another, uh, maybe a film review next time that we have a, a big, a big film release. As long as the Definitely. people don't get tired of Henry Beck. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm always here to share my opinion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right.
Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Brayden. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. I'm going to end. Boom.